Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the podcast all about shooting games. Uh, I'm Ed Smith, I'm joined as ever by Reed McCarter. Yep, that's me. That's you and Patrick Lindsay. Hello. And our very special guest this week, he's a freelance writer who you can find at Eurogamer and <coughs> Kill Screen. Uh, and he's also the editor and founder of Heterotopias, a new zine zine. We didn't degree on zine, yeah? No, it's zine. 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 It's a new yeah, zine, zine uh, about games and architecture. Gareth Martin. Hello, that's me. That's you. Okay, so that's all of us. We're all here, yeah? Yes. Mm. Yeah, we're all still here. Excellent. Good. Yep. Okay, uh, so this week we're talking about Kane and Lynch 2, The Dog Days. Um which is a 2010 game from IO Interactive, uh, the sequel to Kenny Lynch, Dead Men, which is a uh, game in which you play as the eponymous criminal duo performing uh, jobs and missions and whatnot for other criminals. It's a hard game to describe. I'm buggering up the explanation a little bit because it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just a, it's not just a sort of this is your objective, go and do. There's a sort of personal aspect to the story. It's, it's a game about criminals. It's a game about criminals, but it's also a game about uh, criminals fucking things up and not in the sort of goofy Guy Ritchie Grand Theft Auto way. In a really sort of, uh, these guys are on the bones of their asses in these games. Like they're, they're not good at this. They, they fluff it all the time. And in Kane and Lynch 2 Dog Days, um, Kane and Lynch find themselves on the run from the Jap... It's in Shanghai, excuse me. From the uh, Chinese mob uh, after accidentally killing one of the boss's daughters? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. So they must escape from Shanghai over the course of uh, a sort of night and a day. Um, yeah, after botching a uh, assassination job. So the game is shot like, or shot being a sort of word that you put in inverted commas, it looks, it's given the aesthetic of a handheld sort of YouTube video or something you'd find on LiveLeak, uh, almost like a, a cell phone video as well sometimes. Um, the idea being to make it as gritty and urban and realistic and dark, etc. as possible. So that's a brief overview. Gareth, if you could give us a little bit more detail as well of your uh, initial opinions about Kane and Lynch 2 dog days uh that'd be great yeah um okay so i don't know where to start really but i think kane lynch 2 is a game that kind of weirdly uh stuck with me really strongly at the time of its release um i think for i guess a few different reasons but one for the aesthetic and two for the kind of commitment to uh being something very simple short focused and violent, which I guess looking back at it now, it's a um, it's a very 2010 kind of game. It's a it's a cover shooter. It's a co-op cover shooter. Um, I don't know if there are co-op cover shooters anymore. That seems like a kind of you know army of two. They also had a game set in Shanghai, funnily enough. Um, uh -huh. Second one, I think. And <coughs> yeah, so there's this. It's kind of seems very simple now. Um, and I think that only kind of strengthens it, I guess, with time, because it just has this total commitment to its um, its aesthetic, and it has this kind of commitment to this idea of these two criminals who really just fuck everything up um, all the time, and what that drags them into, and the idea that they just can't escape their, their own kind of failings as human beings. 
um, which is not really the typical subject for a 2010 shooter really um, and yeah I think that, that really stuck with me as mm. uh, as being something very unique and uh, very strong um, Reed, before I go to you uh, and, and ask what you thought of the game initially I think it's worth <clears throat> it's worth reminding people that when it launched as Gareth mentioned in 2010 Kane Lynch 2 was not well received it wasn't well reviewed uh, it was I think um, maybe maybe less than like heavily criticised it was more just passed over and didn't really get much of a, a, a attention from reviewers probably because of the echoes of the, the first game I think the first game was it as much as I like it I can understand why people were, were dismissive of it and I can also understand why their experience with the first game would make them uh, less interested in the second but it's experience hasn't it something of a critical revival over the past few years I think there's been a lot of things written about its portrayals of violence and its willingness to sort of get its hands dirty in the subject matter and uh, also things about the the back and forth between the characters what Gareth mentioned the fact that they seem incapable of escaping their own failings and shortcomings and um, rather than like a buddy cop thing these people seem to like, genuinely not like one another and uh, their dynamic is a lot more strained than you might normally expect from a co-op shooter. Um, but sorry, yeah, what, what do you think, Reed, in, in light of those comments? Well, I was going to say um, that, that we should get back to some of the... I, I think talking about this game's reception at some point might be an interesting thing to uh, come back to later on. Um, like when we, when we recorded... Uh, this is a trivia, but wasn't Kane Lynch too? It was like maybe like our fourth episode. Episode or something like seven. Oh yeah, and the computer ate it. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember it was very interesting to talk about. I, I think it's uh, you can point to pretty pretty severe problems with a critical space that uh, ignores what this game was uh, when it comes out. Mm -hmm. That that didn't have the uh... anyway. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think it's it's worth talking about. Um, but yeah, as to the game itself, I think it's it's um, it's it's really good. It's it, it's not necessarily enjoyable to play, which is something to talk about. But um, I, I don't think that hurts it in any way. I think there's um, for a game about something very ugly, it's willing to be uh, to commit to being very ugly and and not sort of um, patting the player on the back and, and trying to make them feel good about what's going on. Mm. It's uh, it, it's it's something that feels, I think, Ed, you're right when you say it kind of feels like a live leak video or something. It seems like this sort of illicit thing that was that was uncovered where, um, you know, there are just all these touches of it where the these people are characterized, Kane and Lynch is, are characterized as being just kind of shitty guys who are just trying to make money. There's never any really great goal to this other than making money um, aside from maybe one instance when Lynch shoots a guy for killing his girlfriend and you know that's maybe the most heroic thing that happens in the game is, is shooting an unarmed man um, I mean it's important yeah, to, to say that his, uh, his girlfriend is only in danger because of his because of him, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. because of his history of crime and he's dragged her into this and the whole thing is kind of um, yeah, yeah no. and also because of also because of Cain betraying him so at the same time, you know, like it's really there's literally no redemption available <laughs> for these guys in that mm. sense. No, it's it's everyone just. Um, I, I mean, yeah, Cain is a character too who 
uh, I think you could make the mistake of almost feeling sorry for him, but he's he's just such a complete and utter fuck up. He's trying to make things right with his his daughter by selling arms to an unnamed African country. Um, <laughs> you know, he he wants to get her favor back by coming back to the states with a bunch of money uh, by helping fuel a war with <laughs> with black market weapons. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I went off track. I I just uh, I like the 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 confidence this game has. Uh, I like the way it looks and sounds a lot. Uh, I think it's written and performed very well, and I think it just it has a clarity of purpose to it, um, and and doesn't just have platitudes about violence uh, like a lot of games have. It it wants you to feel something. It wants you to feel a bit sick and a bit uneasy about what you're seeing. And yeah, I respect it a lot for a lot of those reasons. Patrick, how about you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the points that I have have, have been uh, made, so we'll retread some ground. Um, in fact, Reed, you said exactly what I was going to say, which is that this game is committed to being ugly, um, which I think is its biggest strength. Not just its subject matter or its characters, both of which are important, but just it's uncomfortable to play. Like, it doesn't control very well. Um, the the color palette is kind of glaring and almost nauseating to, to look at for extended mm-hmm. periods of time. Um, the guns don't really... Like, anything other than a pistol is going to be wildly inaccurate at any sort of range. Um, you kind of... You shoot people and they just sort of slump over like sacks of potatoes and it's really unsettling. Um, and yeah, in, in 2010, this sort of thing was unheard of, which is probably why it wasn't... Uh, received better, and I'm going to say a really obnoxious thing right now, and say that Cannon Lynch 2 in that way was probably a little bit ahead of its time um, in terms of making games that are about violence that aren't pontificating on, you know, player agency and your participation in violence. You're just watching horrible bad men do things, horrible things, and do them badly, um, both in, in that they're hurting people and also they're just not very good at it. Um, some of my favorite, some of my favorite parts of the game involve kind of the little collateral damage moments, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about because there are, are lots of them. They're everywhere, both scripted and otherwise. Well, one of the things I want to spend a lot of time on, and I'm prepared to to gloss over a few aspects of this game because, mm-hmm. yes, um, I think we've discussed the fact that the, the the characters don't really do anything particularly glory glorious or glorified. Um, the violence often feels quite shambolic. The shooting often feels quite sort of abortive and chaotic, rather than rather than clean and sort of uh, mechanical as you might find in a lot of third-person shooters. And um, Kane and Lynch Two, to me, it's you know, it's it's like falling down the stairs. It just it's it's from the beginning of the game. You're sort of tumbling through it and mm-hmm. um, bouncing off of things and, and sort of reacting as opposed to construing anything. And so are the two characters. One of the things, though, that I'd like to spend the uh, p- perhaps the lion's share of this episode talking about, because it's it's what I think is the most unique thing about Kane and Lynch 2, because all of the things just mentioned there have existed in other shooters since, if not necessarily before. Um, but Patrick, you hinted at it just now when you said you feel like you're watching these characters do things. And this is what I find fascinating about the game particularly, is that it's framed as... Mm-hmm. Uh, you're observing, like yeah. y- y- when when you die, 
in the game. It's like uh, a cameraman has fallen over, and you kind of see Kane and Lynch carrying on, but you, this sort of cameraman, has have died. And obviously, the game, as we've mentioned before, is shot to look like a, a YouTube video or a live link video, and that aesthetic, as well as creating this sense of um, urgency and and place and and read like you touched upon earlier of of Kane and Lynch feeling like it's sort of illicit and dirty like a sort of VHS tape that you've you know rented from the the shop that doesn't really give a crap about age ratings um as well as it feeling illicit and unpleasant it also creates this fascinating relationship between us playing the game and the characters doing the game but now there's like this intermediary of someone showing us the game and it's making us aware of the fact that what we're doing isn't necessarily what we're doing, it's what the characters are doing, but we are. Do- it's a very complicated relationship in Kevin Lynch between you should, input and output. Um, to, uh, yeah, you should talk, definitely, I'd be curious to hear what Gareth has to say about what, this, precisely. because that was something that, uh, yeah, uh, Gareth, you should talk a little bit about the, the Heterotopia's um, sure, yeah. pictures. Yeah, so um, Heterotopia is my the the zine which we decided it's called or magazine. Um, the it, it about games and I guess game spaces and also games as cultural objects, not just games and architecture. But the the centerpiece of the first issue of that is a photo feature on Kane and Lynch two, um, completely coincidentally with this podcast, funnily enough, and. Um, the the photo feature is focused around Shanghai, the city, but also about the camera eye present in the game. Um, and I, I mean, even going back to when I first played the game, I, I took some off-screen photographs using my phone um, of the game at the time because I was so fascinated by the way it looked. And to me, there was this real strong sense that the game was, in a way, acknowledging the screen uh, in this really strange way by replicating video and by kind of um, trying to catch all those kind of LCD distortions and the strangeness of it, it's, it's, it almost started being a kind of object in itself, uh, rather than being something which with the screen is just a barrier for us to see it properly, because it's not something that you could see at a kind of ultra high resolution or whatever, it's something that's purposefully noisy. It almost becomes, yeah, like an object in itself, like like you were talking, you know, all those things you described, those kind of VHSs, those, we're all talking about objects there, and we rarely talk about video games as if they're, they're objects in that sense. And so I think this, uh, this camera eye thing is something that's fascinated me, and so I did a photo feature where I used a 35mm camera um, and shot off-screen photographs of the architecture and the atmosphere of the game, um, kind of creating this impossible thing where you've got digital distortion happening in 35mm grain, you've got analogue uh, light leaks coming from the kind of old camera I was using, matching up with uh, the kind of distortion stripes that come out of high bright lights when you're um, when you're looking at them through a, a crappy camcorder or a phone camera. Um, and so that, that project was really about kind of examining that eye and examining that view, that distance um, and the strangeness of it. And I, one of the things that came up with that was um, I was approached by the, the art director of the game, Rasmus Paulson, and he wanted to talk to me. Well, he, he was interested in talking about the game, I think because of this uh, lack of critical consideration in a way. And um, when we were talking, one of the things that came up that really interested me is he talked about with that camera that they committed to, that there's a kind of weird inconsistency. So they committed to the moment of it, they committed to the kind of, like you are saying, looking like it's being handheld when you die it falls over, um, but then it also doesn't add together, it's not like, uh, you you know, it's not like 
the Blair Witch where it's a framing device. We, we don't know who the cameraman is. We're never told, oh, look, here's the, here's the camera. Um, this is guy's carrying it and he's going to follow Kane Lynch because he's on some kind of documentary, you know, film thing. It's completely unexplained. And at times it makes absolutely no sense why it's even there. Um, and so instead of actually pursuing a kind of what could be a quite, in a way, boring and laborious um, idea of what's a shooter if a guy's running around holding the camera, which sounds like a terrible idea, um, <laughs> they, they, they manage to somehow tap into this this slightly ethereal metatextual quality of having a camera there um, that's very, very weird. I remember back when we did our Manhunt episode, um, this actually came up then because it uses a similar framing device, although it's way more explicit about it in that game. And um, one of the points that I think, Ed, you had brought up was that it's a way to separate the player from what they're witnessing slash being complicit in um, because in both Manhunt and Kane and Lynch, the actions they're happening on screen are very, very bad. Um, so by framing it in such a way where the player is a spectator rather than an actor, um, there's kind of this, you, you can separate yourself from the protagonists, even as you control them. And I'm not sure if that's necess- if that was necessarily an objective here, but it, it definitely, for me anyways, harkens back to the same sort of thing that they did in Manhunt with that. Well, what it makes me feel, um, and it, it goes doubly so for Kane and Lynch too, and, and Gareth, you're absolutely right, and I admire them so much for, for the reasons you described, for not making it a contrivance, for not making the cameraman into a character. I mean, cameraman almost you know, deserves uh, quotation marks, uh, because it is. It's, it's implausible that they're being followed around by this person because they're having intimate conversations they're talking about doing criminal acts they're doing awful criminal things that you know no right-minded crook would ever let somebody film um but what it created for me as well as what patrick was just saying about uh, a, a, a separation between what the characters are doing and, and my sort of own potentially guilty conscience is it lets kane and lynch breathe more as characters mm-hmm. i mean we have this conversation in our Half-Life episode, and I think we all agree that there's nothing less satisfying for somebody who wants to experience the, the the story of a game than a silent protagonist, than a protagonist who is defined only by the actions which he performs through the player. So with Kane and Lynch too, because I know, or I'm sort of implicitly directed to believe that I'm watching these characters, they they are now outside of me, they are not me they, they are defined by more than just the things that I make them do, they have like a life to which I can have no access, you know, this, this sort of second person framing device makes them seem like external objects to me, and, and as such like their own people, like more fully formed people, so when they do these ridiculous and, and terrible and, and awful make these awful mistakes um, they seem much more human they seem like fully fleshed out characters with with flaws that are not simply the result of me putting the wrong input into the controller um, yeah that's a that's a very powerful eff- effect I think it's interesting though because you I, I don't know that that's sort of the default way I feel about most characters in video games, and, and I don't know if that's um, typical or not. Uh, that's why a lot of stuff rings false for me uh, when experiences 
uh, from a game. An anecdote is, you know, I ran here, I did mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. you know, or or you, um, because I, I, I don't know if maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's just something about how I'm wired, but that's that's how I approach these things. Uh, first person or third person is, is I I'm just helping, or not not even helping. That's not the right word. Uh, you know, it's it's almost like I'm directing something. Uh, the char- the character is still an independent actor, um, but I don't know if that's common. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, Patrick is right to bring up Manhunt again with this too about these these games who that uh, that really zoom in on that that really reinforce the idea that you are not these characters. Mm. Um, I think there's. Yeah. An- there's an interesting thing that happens very specifically in Cain and Lynch 2 as well like a really subtle thing of distance that in, in Cain and Lynch 1 there was this weird co-op mechanic that probably everyone's forgotten um, which Cain is supposedly cra- uh, Lynch sorry, is supposedly crazy schizophrenic I believe although I think the, the game is not very clear um, and there's one point in the game where if you're playing split screen then all of the cops appear with like dog heads I think it is uh, because oh, yeah. he's having a delusion and it's something that's kind of weirdly um, not talked about it's almost like something that they had as an idea but then they didn't really want to kind of make like a full back of the box feature out of it and so then they just do it in this moment and then it's all a bit strange and if you're playing single player then um, then th- that's the bit when uh, Lynch goes crazy I think and kills a load of people in a bank robbery um, for no reason like you just start shooting civilians because that's always the tension in the first game I think that Kane is a supposed professional and Lynch is a, a medicated psychopath, as they described him, I think, on on the materials. And it was, yeah, that he he messes everything up because he's crazy. But um, in the second game, there's this weird thing where um, during some of the gunfights, Lynch will start talking to himself, like in this really extreme way that you would never hear a game, like you never hear game protagonists talking, like you never hear Nathan Drake going, oh, fuck, Nate, fuck, fuck, oh, I'm going to die, oh, no. You know, and he's just literally like going on like this and he's just talking and he's he's saying stuff that you can't quite understand and yet they never they never kind of instrumentalize the video distortion as a kind of analog for his uh like insanity or they never kind of put a hallucination in there or they never put you inside his head so there's this really there's these really strange moments where you're directing him around in a gunfight and all you're trying to do is like you know get get kind of headshots or whatever you're just trying to kind of get through this fight and yet the characters kind of babbling on and and there's this weird sense of disconnection that you're like oh i'm not i'm not doing this he's doing that it's like but i'm still puppeteering him around and it's uh i found that really effective and i I can't think of many other examples of that really Mm. yeah and i i thought that um i'm trying to think i think that's happened well i guess uh uh you know perennial classic spec ops the line Mm. does that as well um but but i think it's it's effective in how understated it is in Kane and Lynch that it just kind of happens and you're almost not sure yeah. if you're hearing what you're hearing when it starts um, I'd, I'd forgotten about it I've played this game three or four times now and uh, playing it before this I you know, I think every time I've forgotten it's about to happen but it almost uh, yeah, I, I mean you're, you're trying to kill as many people as possible so it does kind of reinforce that to a certain extent, right? When you're your goal is to is to murder all these people in the room who are shooting at you, and uh, Lynch kind of underscores that nicely when he starts losing it, um, which I, that that to me almost feels like a 
you know, sort of implicit thing about what this game is and, and what these games are uh, when the player is sort of bloodthirsty too. I mean, you are removed from this character, but you know, he he's this guy who's I think that's pretty soon after his his girlfriend's killed and and he's really going off the deep end. And you're kind of just playing as as usual, but this guy <laughs> is also you know muttering to himself about how he's scared he's going to die or he's going to kill all these fuckers or something just going off and you're just doing what you do when you play a shooter you know and I, and I don't know if that's intentional or not or well, if that's because typically when a game does something like that it is done capital letters on purpose um, to make a specific point usually a story point usually about you know the character's descent into madness or whatever um, Spec Ops Line I think is a really good example not even, not even touching on all the horror games that play with insanity mm-hmm. and unreliable like narrators um, this game, yeah, it doesn't do that, and I think that that kind of transitions that from a plot device to a very subtle character building point. It's a big <laughs> difference because um, the game is not about you know Lynch's descent into madness and using that as a way to prove a point about his actions or the ramifications of violence or whatever. It's just about these two dudes trying to escape, and part of that is you know Lynch is a little unhinged and yeah as, as it goes on you get betrayed by your uh, your boss and his girlfriend is killed um, I mean that great scene when you're running around downtown Shanghai naked and sliced up um, um, all of these things are weighing on the character psyche and you said I think I really like your point Reed uh, not necessarily the player's psyche um, mm. so they, they just kind of pull that through um, by demonstrating very subtly that yeah, this is th- these these characters aren't just moving cameras that hold guns, um, which is I guess a funny choice of words considering we're talking about the framing device. But um, yeah, they they are characters and they're being affected by the world as much as they are affecting it. One of the things that I I don't know if I've seen written about or talked about elsewhere, uh, but that strikes me as as really important because I I still regard Lynch as the secondary character in this game even though he's the one that you play as for the majority of the game he still seems to me like the yeah the the, the secondary protagonist and that's why I find it interesting that in the game's final level without any sort of fanfare we suddenly switch to playing as Kane mm-hmm. uh, and we finish the game as Kane now what we're talking about here uh, previously is Patrick I think you put it nicely there that there are emotional things or, or psychological things happening to the characters that aren't happening to us because we are game players and we're sort of conscious of this being fiction and we're also being encouraged to regard it as something that we're observing as opposed to directly involving ourselves in and I wonder if anyone would speculate exactly on why it is that we conclude the game as Kane, I think that the answer can probably be found without having played the first game. I think that it, it is contained within the the second game exclusively. But I wonder what effect that has on people, like the 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 three of you. What it made you think about when suddenly you switched to Kane for the last level, Gareth. I mean, have you got any thoughts? Um, I I don't want to uh, ruin this for everybody because this is actually something that's really. I mean, I've played through this game a lot of times, and as I said, it kind of yeah, I've been thinking about stuff on this game for a while and uh, wanting to write things about it for a while but um, 
one of the first things that I asked uh, Rasmus when uh, I spoke to him, the art director, was actually this question. Um, because it's one that's always stuck with me as being like, why does that happen? I mean, I have ideas about it, but but so I don't know if uh, if you want his answer now or if you uh, you want to wait for Patrick and Reed to have to have some thoughts. Um, yeah, I I I I, uh, I was thinking about that again this time, and I I didn't quite quite have it pieced together, but um, I don't know. Well, it, I- it, Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say we. I, I take the the kind of author is dead route, and you know. Um, I'm the, still really curious, though. Well, yeah, I, no, <laughs> Gareth, that's what I mean. Gareth like, has I, the I, forbidden knowledge right now. I want to hear it, and I think we should hear it first. But I also don't think it, it should preclude any other, you know, input or interpretation or whatever. But uh-huh. I, I'd, lo- I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree, and uh, I definitely think, like, actually, that's that. It was kind of slightly disappointing because I, in a way, I was expecting for something quite dramatic, or uh, you know, as you do with mysteries, that you as the as the player or watcher or whatever experiences, but the creator m- maybe didn't have that much time spent on it. But he, after a little yeah. bit of thinking, to try and to you know, because he couldn't pull it straight to his mind, he uh, he was like, he said that it was to do with the fact that um, when they went to the airport, they the the agency had changed that was no longer freefall um and that lynch was the character in freefall he was the character where uh, you know where he's just kind of continually going down and and you know there's no saving him and this was the moment where they had a plan and where they became uh, they had agency in the game and the idea was that kane is the plan guy he's the he's the supposed guy who's going to get them out of the situation and it was to give a sense of hope that this final level might involve uh, them you know, kind of suddenly managing to get out of it and clean everything up and, and that the plan would be put into action, you know, well and with the military precision of Kane's history. Um, huh. That was See, his my, idea. My thought is not super dissimilar from that. Um, I know that we talked about both Kane and Lynch as being completely devoid of redemption, but there is a so- sort of a sense of you playing them through their own kind of redemptive arcs, um, Lynch's is much more localized and contained. He's basically just trying to get revenge on the people who murdered his girlfriend, and you do that. And Cain is trying to redeem himself by essentially escaping this life of crime and reconnecting with his daughter. So the final moment is you kind of guiding him onto a plane, a passenger plane, as it takes off to wherever it's going. Um, And that's sort of like his literally flying off into the sunset moment. Huh. Yeah, I I, I uh, just sort of saw it as uh, again it's kind of close to to what the official line there is, but um, just sort of that that Lynch had had gone all the way down to the bottom, and that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but but that never kind of sat all that well for me because he's still there, you know, and he's Lynch is still there, and he's he's carrying on as per usual. Um, I, I almost. You know, it, it almost felt maybe the first time. It's hard to remember what it was like the first time I played it, but there is a sense that something even worse uh, is going to happen, which I think wouldn't have been a very good ending. I like the ending of this game a lot, um, but I think when you switch to Kane, there's almost a sense that okay, now we're there. There is that idea that now they're going to salvage something, um, and it makes you kind of think, given what these games are and what this game is, that maybe Kane's going to get shot. You know, and and Lynch is gonna scurry off into hiding, um, but yeah. instead it just it they do 
they do sort of accomplish what they're trying to, even though it's a terrible way to accomplish it. Well, they they accomplish the continuation of their own torture, right? Like this is the kind yeah. of this is a, you know that I mean the endings is pretty also something really among the kind of group of things that marks the game out um, from kind of similar games, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think there there is that sense that. Um, that, that it's also distancing, I guess, the cane switch. For me, I've always thought of it as a kind of refusal to let you have some kind of um, payoff, you know, because you've mm. you've been Lynch or whatever. Um, even though that's very questionable in the way the game portrays it, you don't get to be him. And then the game is very clearly like, well, now you're you're Kane. You know, you know, you don't get to be Lynch at the end of the game. You don't get to have some kind of. We're not going to kind of wrap this all up nicely for. Uh, for Lynch here, you know, you, no, we just take we're just taking him away from you. He's he's you know, you're not him. And this this it kind of distances you really strongly. It makes for a very cold final level, really. You know, especially also the setting of the airport, which has a kind of stronger like neutral element to it than the uh, the intensity of Shanghai. There's this kind of sense that you're on this kind of weird um, international ground, and yeah, and then there's the uh, the yeah. last boss that that comes out of, comes out to greet you at the end. Um, which is, you know, two dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't... I, I think this was the first time I did not... I managed to do it without shooting the dogs. Oh, you can do it without shooting the dogs? <laughs> I, I just... Well, because I, you know, this time I knew, I kind of had in the back of my mind some memory, some hazy memory of how much space there was you had to get across to get to that, get to the airplane stairs, and so I just booked it. And, and I think you can... Just sort of, just sort of book it from about halfway. I, tr- that, uh, I tried to tarmac. do that, that too because I have a, a personal rule about not killing dogs in games. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, I don't Good think one. I was successful because it's very hard. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like I, I heard them barking and thought I remember playing this over and over again. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, uh, I broke, I broke the game. I speed run. <laughs> you. No clip through the dogs. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. I don't <laughs> think we. I don't think we need to go into necessarily do the. Uh, hate the word symbolism of the dogs. You know, the game is called Dog Days. There's two of them. There's two of you. Um, I think that you could easily draw parallels between the, uh, the dogs and the two characters, especially at that sort of end moment. The switch to Kane. I think Gareth, you're really onto something in as much as it it's like a it's just I, I almost see it as a as a flourish that, that doesn't need that much explanation in as much as it's it's just there to sort of wrong foot you. I, I think the airport the, the, the description you use there with the airport that it's a, a neutral space and um, things sort of come and go and it's a, it's an uncertain you know it has like an uncertain identity. And in the final level you're being, you know, taken away from the character who you in as much as the game will allow, started to associate with, and aligned now with mm-hmm. a different character. It does just create that sense of, I'm in a place where, you know, anyone kind of comes and goes, and the game has sort of turned itself a little on its head now by switching characters at the last moment. Surely anything could happen here. You know, it's, it's, just, it's like unnerving. It's just a sort of, it's a, it's a wrong-footing way to start the level. Um, it also... Um it uh, in, in just a direct formal sense too. It it gives them one last opportunity to to show them maybe doing something well. Uh, I think when they they start off and you have silenced pistols, which is yeah. uh, not. I don't think they show up at any other point in the game. Mm. 
and so the game is kind of telling you maybe maybe there's a way to do this like like some sort of expert criminals where you're gonna you know pick off mm -hmm. the only you know a few guards and you're gonna sneak past the other ones uh and just within the space of that level things you know in, in the style of this game just go you know absolutely to shit mm -hmm. there's there's a part toward the end when they get to uh a hangar with um I think I think it's like you know some single engine airplane that they're gonna take off in and it's broken, dismantled, and Lynch starts freaking out, and, you know, saying something about how things don't go right, nothing ever works, mm. um, and and that's right before they you know start murdering more people and, and make the dash across and hijack the plane, mm. um, but yeah, it, it's even in just a direct uh, design. Uh, this is how you feel going into a mission sense. It, it does give them the space to have everything go to shit one more time. One um, thing I, I wanted to to also touch upon with this um, before we move on to another point is uh, as everyone played Metal Gear Solid 2 yes. uh -huh. or at least, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, at least there's a decent familiarity with it. So you remember that we weren't raised in the barn, Ed. <laughs> we played <laughs> no, Metal Gear I know, Solid 2. I know, but I thought you might have been raised playing games that weren't shoddily written. Um, <laughs> oh, I joke, I joke. I like that game. Despite myself. Um, <laughs> that game opens with you playing as Solid Snake, the hero of the first game, the hero of the franchise. And then um, switches to you playing as Riven, this uh, previously unintroduced character. Uh, who, who remains your character for the rest of the game? And as Raiden, you see Snake. He's like a, a an ally of yours now. He's he's doing things without you controlling him. And I always got the sense, and I think I remember reading or seeing this in an interview. This was a decision, not necessarily to to give us like the Raiden character and characterise him, but to define Snake. You know, you see him from the third person, and now he seems more impressive. You're playing as Raiden, this rookie. And there's Snake, the experienced veteran, who's doing all these things that, you know, uh, perhaps you probably couldn't achieve if you were playing a game as, as Snake, because their actions mm -hmm. are too complicated to sort of map to or control these buttons. And he's doing all these incredible things. And that switching of characters in, in Metal Gear Solid 2 gives you a, a different perspective of another character. And I wonder if when you switch to Kane, it's a similar effect, do you now feel differently about Lynch? When you're playing as Lynch, do you, do you maybe not have the time to consider exactly who he is and what he's doing because you're too busy shooting, or, or do you regard him as like a vector just for your actions, and when you're now playing somebody else, do you maybe look at him a little bit more uh, protectively or favourably, or, uh, or do you maybe regard him as like a, a drag or like more of an unpredictable element than you do when you're playing as well? Um, I don't know, I wonder if anyone felt like that, whether it, it changed their perspective on me, just to play as Kane in that last mission. I, I would just say really quickly on that, no, and I think if I had a, uh, one of the problems with this game, I think is that it's co-op, um, which might be fun to play through, I, but I think uh, gives them... <coughs> introduces a level of like openness that that the game doesn't need mm. uh, so it, I, I feel like moments like that could maybe have happened if you didn't have to worry about player two being mm. lynch in that last level mm. um, well i feel like i went on quite a long explanation there, but it was a, a sort of dead end point um, 
but Reed, I mean, the one thing that you were yeah, great work at yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, that's that's a sort of highlight and hit delete part of the, the writing process. No, I, but I, I, I it, it, it struck me as important because I mean, Reed, you were talking about how uh, the the airport level spins dramatically out of control, um, perhaps more so than a lot of the other levels, and I did feel that when I was like no longer in control of Lynch, that he was now this like wild element. Uh, and so I had to sort of watch and I, I, I didn't feel it sort of safe around him as when I was playing him and I thought that was a, huh. an interesting character dynamic which they achieved in um, what is in video game terms of quite an expert sleight of hand by just having you change character at last level. Um, it sort of altered in my head the dynamic between the two of them. Well that's what I mean by some of that co-op stuff and I, and I know they you know, I think I only managed to play one or two rounds of the multiplayer back when I first got this game, because I, I don't think it's working now. It's not the draw anyway, but, um, you know, they, they obviously are pretty into the idea of these criminals being unreliable and, and can turn on each other at any time, and I think that's, if I remember right, that's what the multiplayer uh, thing was, is that you're doing a co-op uh, mission together and then maybe toward the end one of you can kind of screw over the other ones and try to take more of the money. That's right. Uh, something like that. And so I think um, th that's actually kind of a neat way to uh, to maybe have their cake and eat it too with, with throwing a multiplayer mode onto this thing. Um, but the co-op stuff, you know, things like that, like I didn't get that sense from Lynch that he was capable of doing any harm mm. to Kane. Be just because he's kind of the way that characters move around when they're AI controlled and, and they can't be controlled by another person, like they, <laughs> it's hard to describe. They just kind of like jog around and in a weird way. And they, they don't, I, and I didn't notice it as much for the rest of the game, but um, in that part, maybe it is just switching the characters. Uh, it, it, it just didn't have that feeling to it. And it, it could have, you know? If, if it was single player, you could have had Lynch. Maybe toward the beginning of that, do something he wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, maybe he. I don't know. It, it would be. It would probably be uh, too obvious and, and not good for the game. But if he shot someone who they didn't need to shoot, mm -hmm. you know, that that would be hitting the same note again. But it would. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. Well, with speaking of the the hitting the the hitting that note of shooting people. Uh, who you're not supposed to shoot. I think there's something Patrick mentioned earlier, um, and I don't want to hijack Ed, but I think this is also like a really fascinating thing about the game that 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 I love is oh, yeah. is the fact that you can just murder uh, mm -hmm. civilians, anybody, completely consequence free, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and the game just kind of is like, well, so what? You know, you almost. Uh, I think the first time I did it um, in the game, just shot a defenseless civilian. I, I almost kind of stood there waiting for the, the comeuppance, you know, waiting right. for the game to turn around and say, oh, uh, you shouldn't have done that, or mission failed, or even just for Kane to kind of comment on it maybe and say, like, oh, you're, what are you doing? But it was just the, the kind of silence, and combined with the fact that strange headshot filter that you get, yeah. um, where they just where they blur out the, the, the violence in that kind of classic thing of making it more violent by not showing the kind of explicit detail um, of shooting somebody in the head. It, the whole thing just was such a bizarre and broken experience um, that it, that is really fascinating and, and a very strange thing. 
It is really unsettling because you know I was you're you're in shootouts outside in the middle of an intersection and there are people in cars like cowering behind their steering wheels, um, which like it was a choice for them to put that in there. You could you can ignore mm-hmm. them and they do nothing. You can shoot them and nothing happens. Um, you're just you're such a destructive force in that game, and this is slightly different, but it um, kind of falls along the same lines. There's a point fairly early on, but I remember it happening specifically because it kind of knocked me off my knocked me on my heels a little bit. You go from killing mobsters to killing cops, and for a large part of the game, you're killing cops almost exclusively, um, and not just killing them. Like you can shoot them in the head and blur their faces out, like Gareth was just saying. Um, and it's it kind of made me wince the first time. Um, there's just so much. It, it seems funny to complain about like death and destruction in a shooter game, but this this game is so uh, just sort of casual and blithe about it. Um, the fact that the characters don't even really acknowledge even the the initial murder that kind of sets off the chain of events when this woman is killed. The issue isn't, oh crap, we killed this woman when we didn't mean to. The issue is, oh crap, what's going to happen to us now? Um, yeah, she was the wrong defenseless person to kill. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, They wouldn't have cared if she was just that guy's girlfriend at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It's, I don't know, there's, there's a part of that that I find really hard to stomach, and I think that's kind of the point, which is why I love that they did it. Well, what I think is conducive to that feeling is... Um, Kane and Lynch, the, the, the aesthetic is sort of, I don't know how to describe it really apart from the word neutral it's its everything seems as um, kind of reputable and, and it's distinctive a- as one amoral well it's, yes it is but it, it's, it's, morality almost doesn't come into it, what I'm thinking of is when you sit on the main menu it's got this kind of simulated handheld footage and it's completely innocuous things it's like, you know, just a, a camera of like a through the window of a moving car and it's catching this kind of like nothingy um, mm-hmm. pop music going on in the background and when you escape as Kane and Lynch uh, without any clothes they don't return in like suits or whatever they just grab like rags from this shop and put them on and you know just just to dress themselves and things like that um, the aesthetic there is um, you know, it's not like uh, cultivated. You know, the, the camera isn't picking up like some great vista. It's just some footage of a moving car with some pappy pop music. These guys aren't wearing like cool suits or like great outfits. They're just getting clothes and putting them on. And that sort of lack of cultivation, that not exactly base, but just sort of no, there's no care in either direction. It's not like deliberately bad. It's not like deliberately good. It's a sort of chaotic neutral is what I think informs the violence in this game, that it just is and it doesn't sort of pass comment these are just images and sounds that are just being captured and yeah. served up kind of plainly and are neither you know commented on like you know condoned or um uh the other one you know <laughs> celebrated <laughs> <laughs> well that's when that's what when oh sorry no just wanted to mention um in connection to that and the aesthetic is one thing that Rasmus, when I spoke to him, mentioned the art director, um, was that it, this idea of it being a love letter to the leftovers, to what's left, the the stuff that's that's kind of not looked at, the mm-hmm. stuff that's in the in in the corners or, you know, the kind of, he talked about pointing something dramatic or violent happening and you pointing the camera in the corner or slightly in the wrong direction or and this idea of the kind of the, the not looked at. And um, just 
I think there's that's really strong. I think you're you're very right in in that in that kind of picking on that as an aesthetic, um, as being something that that is neutral, but it's also kind of it's it's almost evening the ground between the the dramatic and the violent and all the things that we you know that film and TV and games all heightens you know that that um, arc for the characters that sense of like okay here's a moment where someone dies and we have this big music and we have this big moment and here's a moment where we're just hanging out and that's quiet and it just it you know kind of equalizes all of that and it makes the the trash the same as the the product you know it makes the I think the yeah. content all the same In, indifferent is the word like I think in a lot of violent games as in violent films um, what we're trying to find is like a, a, a suitable background for violence and suitable mm. costumes for these characters to make them look a certain way for when they perform violence Kanan Lynch uh, seems to although obviously it, it will be very cultivated you know these things go through lots of decisions and you know as you've as we've all gleaned from your interview with um, the, the art director it's a very deliberate decision but it doesn't look it it looks indifferent um, and that's what makes the violence I think more affecting because it seems less fictitious is because it's not yes it's not against a background that seems like spectacular and dramatically relevant it's just against the a, a shop in the street yeah well that's why I was going to say I I mean I have pretty strong feelings about how uh, uh, a lot of the way violence is treated in uh in action games and action films and and so forth and so on and I don't think there's a I don't think you can say there's a right way to do it you know um, something like a, a blood meridian in in uh, in books is is very effective treatise on violence um, but sort of what both Ed and Gareth were saying about the way that the the sort of the indifference of this and the the feeling that it is something that's just kind of discarded when the way that the aesthetic works and the way that things like the pause menu that Ed was talking about where it just sort of looks like the camera's been set down and it's just looking out a window you know with rain coming down or something um, it almost gives you the feeling that this is something that has happened mm-hmm. um, that is found and being brought to you for you to look at uh, and just sort of presented here it is here's four hours of of something bad that happened that you've never heard about and that you would never hear about really um, well, maybe you would because there's a lot of police officers being killed. Um, but the the idea it almost seems like is that this this kind of crime, this sort of pointless, um, just sort of pointless greed-driven crime that doesn't necessarily accomplish anything, that leaves so many people dead, is just something that happens around the world all the time, mm. and it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. It's nihilistic. It's it's purposeless. It's the shit is just happening, and it's not grand and operatic. It's just human. It's just mm-hmm. dirty and shitty, and very human and normal. Um, and, and I, I think everything about the presentation of this game uh, reinforces that. You know, the the alleys and the garbage, and it's just it's deeply unsettling. I think, and it never guides you toward its message. It says play this and then, you know, maybe sit back and think about what you just saw and the fact that it's in a named city in the world. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I expressed that properly, well, but the, it's so effective to me. I, I think you have, and it, it, it brings onto one of the, the last points I'd like us to discuss. Uh, I think that the, the term that comes to my mind is anti-drama. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the antithesis of dramatic. Like drama is is like you know read like you were just saying. You know it it builds to something and it has some sort of resonance and it's constructed in a way that is dramatically affecting to us immediately. Whereas Cain and Lynch two is is anti dramatic. You know the the, the scenes are, have not got dramatic resonance. The scenes don't imply that this is important or significant. That the, the characters don't seem to achieve anything particularly notable either way sometimes. But this is, and, and also the game's ending, by the way, reinforces this, uh, reinforces this, where they just get on a plane and the, it just bluntly cuts to black, and that's it. Like you don't see them discussing, like you know, thank God we got out of there, or what are you going to do next? They get on a plane and that's the end of the game because that's that's it. Um, but this is where I want to talk about the, the the central fault I think of Kane Lynch Two, and the thing that almost, for me at least, like breaks it completely, like f- comes really really close to. To snapping the whole game over his knee, um, which is the level where Kane and Lynch are finally apprehended and uh, taken to the skyscraper owned by the person whose daughter they wrongly killed at the game's beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. And they they get free of their captors and get free of their binds, and they're still in the helicopter on the way there, and. It seems to me, given everything that's gone in the game before and everything that comes after, like these two characters would take the helicopter and go and just and just leave. Um, and that would be much more in keeping with the aesthetic we've just been discussing that the game explores so rigorously. But what they do is they attack the, the skyscraper, they go on the offensive, rather than just running away from these, what have been characterised to us as, you know, uh, impossible to defeat, terrifying government forces they now go on the assault and they, they destroy this skyscraper more or less and like fight their way to the top floor and kill this guy and it's like this small moment of you know redemption or, or revenge or whatever and it is it is like the closest the game comes to uh, a, a dramatic scene and it ruins it like it, it nearly kills it because where does that come from what I think I, I think if you accept the interpretation that Kane, or sorry, that Lynch rather, is kind of coming apart at the seams. Um, it's a little bit easier to swallow the idea that he's wanted nothing more, at least for the past hour or so of playing, than to uh, exact revenge on the people who killed his girlfriend. And now he has a powerful weapon in the form of a helicopter and a like side-mounted grenade launcher, basically to do that. Um, that said, yeah, I agree with you. I, it's my least favorite part of the game, and the part that comes after that I don't like very much either. But if you if you still kind of follow the game through the perspective of the characters and sort of what's happening inside their heads, it sort of makes sense. Um, I don't understand why Kane goes along with it. Well, that yeah, that's the thing, right? Is I can't imagine Kane being sort of more level-headed, even though he's also piece of work i you can't imagine him being like yeah good plan mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it just shoots i mean you know regardless of the the sort of soundness of the characterization it's just it's against all of the other mm-hmm. aesthetic pleasures in the game it is a it's a dramatic moment it's a conventional moment um it's something that i typically expect from a game i think that has a lot to do with why i ended up in the game to be honest you see that's what i worry about uh, i i'm i'm you know, I wonder whether it's worth discussing beyond beyond that. Is this a moment that was put in there 
simply to rank Kane and Lynch alongside its contemporaries, or to or to put to rest the mind of some, you know, hand wringing, short sighted producer. See, I I would say that that's Kane and Lynch 2's sort of shock and awe moment, the moment where they detonate the nuclear bomb. Um, but we've kind of already had that at that point when you escape captivity and are running around Shanghai naked and bleeding. That is, I think, way more startling and kind of way, yeah. way more of a set piece than a helicopter blowing up a building, which we've seen in dozens of games. Well, it's really interesting, too, like when, when Ed said the moment when they're captured, and I'm trying to think, and that, that level has sort of uh, come out of nowhere for me every time I've played the game. It's uh, it's <laughs> I never remember it. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I I have uh, such a fondness for everything else the game does that uh, something like that just feels like a weird blip that happened that feels like a deleted scene that got stuck in. Mm. But when Ed said like when they get captured right away, I was just thinking like, oh man, what's wrong with when they get captured and they're all cut up and unarmed, <laughs> and running around naked with their dicks censored out and everything like that. You know the two moments, I guess, of them being captured. It's one of them. I think is is this great distillation of everything the game gets right. And uh, yeah, <laughs> this other one. You're, you're absolutely yeah, right. It, it doesn't fit. There's there's Sorry, uh, no. I think this is totally right. I mean that that this like there's the, that's the bit that that kind of makes me sad in this game. Or or the, the when they abandon intimacy. You know, and I think like. Mm. That the ending kind of redelivers it because there's there's nothing more kind of intimate, depressing, and visceral than just shooting two dogs dead in an in an airport in a kind of you know it kind of ruins that final chase as a as a dramatic exciting moment mm. um, because you just do a horrible what a horrible thing and it's funny Patrick was saying you know about he doesn't shoot dogs in games so it's even it's there's there's an awareness there that it's worse than killing you know hundreds of cops is this right. kind of yeah. shooting two dogs um, but the this like there's this sense of intimacy in, in in all its best moments and even in that that first shot that kind of amazing first shot of the game which is shot of a camera and in the screen of the camera we see uh Kane Lynch being tortured um and you know there's that real intense level of intimacy and this kind of scale of like well you don't actually need to kill necessarily hundreds of people to get these effects um and i i guess that's the tension of the game that's where i, I wish the game had pushed more i wish it had reduced the number of enemies it had to have in it um in order to really be considered a kind of you know there's times where it feels like padding to me um there's even a point where kane when you're shooting kind of a seemingly infinite number of chinese army people and and kane's uh, like where are these guys even coming from you know and it's kind of i feel like the developers even just put that in you know to just be like yeah we know it, it's kind of you know it, it definitely has moments where it just kind of throws off this intimacy um of being you know in a kind of horrible shitty dvd shop uh, shooting a policeman with an insanely inaccurate automatic weapon while you're listening to kind of Chinese music and and air conditioners and God knows what else like all around you and those levels of like intense intimacy uh, it it does seem hilarious that you also have bits where you're kind of chain gunning a, um, a skyscraper and it's definitely a, a, an abandonment I guess of of some of the things that make it a really compelling experience. So as a, as a last, a- sorry, read. Oh, I was just going to say, um, when, when Gareth says that too about there being uh, at times in the game, I, I think at times it, it works well just with the, the sheer scale of, of the violence and on the streets mostly. I think when you're shooting cops and there's civilians running around, um, 
that's when it works to have a lot of people and, and too many people and too many bullets going around. Uh, but I, I think Gareth is absolutely right that there are times like uh, toward the beginning and the end of the game where it's just an endless number of, of gangsters or uh, or Chinese army. And I think that's what that, that helicopter sequence really is, is that tendency um, exaggerated mm. to a really stupid proportion. Mm. You know? I, I wouldn't have a problem if maybe all of those enemies were you get into the building in some way. You know, they're they're beat up, they're captured and they're brought there and they, they decide that since they're there they're gonna, you know, fight to the top floor and try to make a deal. Mm. I, I think that would maybe work. Um, but yeah. It's a sense too that they're always sort of underpowered throughout everything. They're they're the they're just trying to get through things mm. um, and overcome the odds when they have pretty much an entire fucking army uh, <laughs> trying to kill them. Uh, and then in that moment there, it's like, you know, Fly the Valkyries should be playing and they're just gods on high striking down everything. And I don't think you, that sense of empowerment doesn't fit. doesn't fit with uh, what the game's narrative is. I, my interpretation of the level would, well, I think, would have them brought to the top floor at the beginning to you know be confronted by the the man who they end up killing and they they kill him right at the beginning of the level and then the rest of the level is them sort of you know literally and metaphorically descending through the skyscraper until they go out the bottom floor rather than off the top um and it 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 you're absolutely right reed look you know the the empowerment like the sense of empowerment at the beginning of that level, it is subpar apocalypse now, and this is—it's not these two guys at all. It's—it's it's not what we've seen from them. They're not—they're not good at this stuff. Um, and the beginning of that level seems to imply that they are. As a final question, then, um, because we're—we're we're over the 60 minutes that um, we usually go for. I'm going to ask Gareth first. Why do you think this game? something of a short shrift from critics on its release yeah um, that's an interesting one I mean I think uh, you know there's a kind of famous reason I guess in terms of Kane and Lynch 1 and, and its paid review controversy uh, which I'm not really I guess that interested in but definitely had some sense of an impact that there was some sense that as a series Kane and Lynch was sullied or uh, at least that you know that the press had to um have some kind of response to it and take it on its level and not be accused of being soft on it um, as some people were on the first game um, in that kind of weird way that games criticism works but I think more so um, I think that that ambivalence we're talking about that distance the the, the anti-drama I just don't think there's a, there was a language for that um, in the game review as a form I don't think that they were, the writers were somehow inept or stupid. Um, I think actually just game reviews as a product review, as a review of something which you're supposed to have fun with and that you're supposed to assess based on a set of criteria about gameplay, story, you know, that look always for the well-rounded, um, neutral, kind of unthinking experience in a way that have a bias towards that. I think that there was very little capacity for for really understanding that within the form of a game review, um, and you know, people talked about it being ugly and giving it a headache, giving you a headache, and I guess any negative emotions um, were also not really something that people were were digging into. Um, and it's it is a yeah, I mean, it's a massive shame, and 
Um, and I think you know, it's great that it's it's recovering, or at least it's getting some kind of critical consideration now. And maybe it's better after the fact. Always tends to be a little deeper, but um, you know, there's things about it, the, the kind of the soundtrack. You know, that they went out and commissioned thirty Chinese pop songs, and um, and then they got a kind of experimental German noise artist to yeah. write a load of a load of drones and things that you don't even know are in there. It's the soundtrack that you never know, but but. They're incredibly integral to the atmosphere of the game, overlaid with these, yeah, these Chinese pop songs that were all written for the game. They're all totally original works. And, you know, this kind of stuff that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's really exciting to me and really interesting and way beyond half the stuff you ever hear being done on a a game of its budget or scale or reputation. Um, But that's all just noise now, I think. And I think those stories, you know, I've been wanting to... um, to dig into those stories and bring them back into people's awareness, and I guess that, that's one of the things I was trying to do in in Heterotopias um, is bring the art direction back into focus and uh, have people look at it again, rethink it. But yeah, I still think that that we'll lose we lose some stories there by not having noticed them at the time. Yeah, Patrick, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that especially seeing as how this game was released in 2010, the critical atmosphere in 2010 was not anywhere near what it is today um if i mean it was it was present but barely um and i think we were still operating under the paradigm where games were meant to be fun and enjoyable to play and Kane and lynch was intentionally designed it's it's you know it's nasty brutish and short um all of the things that we normally criticize games for being um that would be a great headline by the way well there you Kane go and lynch too Nasty, brutish, and short. I by won't Patrick even. Lindsay. I won't even charge you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just I think that in a lot of ways, and again, I'm just full of obnoxious aphorisms, but I think in a lot of ways, the critical community wasn't necessarily ready for a game like Kane and Lynch Two, or ready to receive it for what it was. Um, which is a shame because there's a lot of really cool stuff to unpack if you're willing to engage with it as a piece of media and not just as a video game. I, I guess I'd, I'd be really cynical following up on, on Patrick's point and say that I, I think if this game came out next week it would uh, meet a similar reception mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would uh, um, I think this happens over and over again it's one of the I, I thought about this a lot when I realized <laughs> cause, mostly because right away it made me feel really old when I remembered that this game was 2010 when it came out and uh you know that's that's almost seven years ago when this game came out now, and uh, I I don't know maybe this is because I I work regularly in in this field and it's hard and there often doesn't seem to be a, uh, much of a home for for not writing the usual thing, uh, but I I don't I think if this game came out now it would it would be the same I think it would get a a sixty five on Metacritic, and uh, it would have a few defenders, uh, and they would be not well heard, and then maybe a few years later you would start to uh, see the groundswell of of critical pieces reach some sort of mass where people say it's a cult darling, you know? Mm. Uh, I I just think, I, I, this sounds really hyperbolic, but I think when you look at the reception of a, a game like Kin Lynch too, and it, this isn't saying that you have to like this game. You can you can hate this game. I think there are you can be a critic and find everything it does off-putting and uh, uh, you know doesn't work for you in, in various ways. 
but it, but I think the the response that had this sort of tepid non-response um, is a pretty strong indictment of of the games industry, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I'm not just saying I'm not just saying the the makers of games and everything. I think Gareth is talking about all this stuff about the you know the Mon- the Mona Moore Moore soundtrack and the, you know the visual design of this thing the the uh, subtlety in character building and, and plot and uh, theme and, and narrative focus, uh, the discussion on violence within a mainstream action game, um, all, all of this stuff is is not rewarded. It's it's not seen as being the proper way to spend your money. You know, to to commission these songs uh, and the original soundtrack and and do all this work, it, it's not rewarded because someone's going to come along and say the guns and feel good to shoot. Uh, the game's only four hours long, and I want—I <laughs> don't know—I feel like I'm like going on some fucking screed, but like, it—it's a—it's a huge bummer, and and I think the fact that when I think how this game would do now, I don't think it would do much better, and it's—it's—it makes you wonder about, <laughs> about what the point is of of continuing to uh, give a shit about games. I <laughs> couldn't agree more with every single word of that. I—I I understand. Gal's point that you know the the review format as it existed in 2010 perhaps wasn't best equipped to uh, take a game like this on its own terms, but that review format was perpetuated and created and and not broken out of by by critics because I think that they were being toothless and refused mm-hmm. to see what was sitting directly under their nose and uh, had grown accustomed to writing in a certain way that was accessible and easy and generated a, a steady interest in video games and Reed again I, I, I think you're absolutely right that it's it's such a sadness that the kinds of things that Kane and Lynch achieves things that in any other form and I'm not talking this isn't you know this isn't to the uh, this isn't to criticize or, or debase games or sort of question whether or not they're up there as, as these uh, alongside these other forms this is simply a fact because it's it's a pretty base level of criticism that the things Kane Lynch achieves would be noticed in a movie, would be noticed in a book. And that's not because the critical language there is so much more developed or because films and books are so much more brilliant that we've become accustomed to them doing these brilliant things whereas games never do them. It's just true. Um, people would well, and an expectation, it. right? It's a yeah, I think that's a big part of it. it it's but, about being will- willing to it, look, maybe? But I think if if the expectation, I just I I don't know what business you have being a critic if your expectation of games is to only ever have to appeal to them on the grounds of gameplay, longevity, multiplayer, gun feel. Um, I don't think that it's if that's the only thing you expect from every game, if that's the only grounds on which you're willing to meet it, then why bother? I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into this, even though I really, really do. Um, I know this is, I know this is a topic that is near and dear to to our hearts here specifically, and I, I think um, it's just the paradigm that we're in, and that's the paradigm that we started with, and the people in the the first wave, that's what they started doing, and then the people who came up through the second wave because they came up reading that stuff. That's how they learned how to write about games. Um, so you get into a rut basically, and it's. A, a lot of, mm, I gotta be careful. Um, I think a lot of people would prefer to have timely, palatable coverage of a game that is fine, than 
encourage a deeper dive and looking at what is actually there. Mm -hmm. I think it is more, more uh, to use a stupid word, profitable or a better business decision or a better business model to release your day one review uh, that tells you that the game Nuts is fine bolts. to play. Exactly. Yeah, breaks it down into its component parts than to spend you know an extra two to four weeks with the game really digging into its guts and explaining why it's actually worth your time as a piece of media. Well, here's the, here's the thing for me with Kane Lynch 2, is it's not a masterpiece. It's not like a very difficult piece of literature, you know, in the, in the sort of general sense of the word literature. It's not like a hard thing to get your head around. I think that what it's doing, uh, anyone can get to grips with, and it screams about it. It's like, it's obvious. You know what I mean? It came yeah. to is, it, it's but you have to be willing to see it. But I, how can you not? Like, it's, 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 it's nothing... Yeah, that's that's my thing. Is that yeah, it's, it's not subtle about it. You know what I mean? It's slapping you around the face with, with it what is. it's saying. How can you how can you not write about it when it's genuinely what the game is yelling at you the entire time? It wants you to to recognize these things. You don't have to like take a deep dive into Kane and Lynch two to talk about the kind of themes that we've been discussing for the past hour. It's so like clear and present, um, and it like it, it 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 takes like a sort of kind of ego, I think to write around them, to, to just choose not to write about them, takes like a sort of obsession with one's own writing style, with a writing style one has become accustomed to, to just, you know, it almost seems like a conscious decision not to engage Kane and Lynch too on these grounds. Like you, you have to just purposefully avoid it rather than not see it. Um, which is what I find baffling about the reception to it, is, is that people seem to have gone out of their way to go out of their way around Kane and Lynch too. Yeah. I, I agree, they absolutely have. Why, I don't know. Um, I tear my hair out almost daily about this exact same thing because as a person who only does long-form critical deep dives, it's infuriating and, and impossible to find work, so I definitely understand. Um, I I don't know. Well, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's obviously a big problem, but I think it's it's... I think it's unavoidable when you look at these kind of games that mm. have, I don't know, that you can buy for a dollar on Steam and then people say, but was it any good? And it's just like, don't, I don't know. It, it just seems like, like a pretty big problem. And, and I think there, there are, there's no shortage of people who, uh, who are equipped to, uh, you know, I might, I might even suggest someone like Gareth could do a good day <laughs> one review exactly, of, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't agree that it's a matter of time too, I, I think there there's plenty of precedent for people being able to get a review out on the day of a game's release that's um, that's thorough and uh, and and looks at, at what the thing is and, and tries to think about it on more than just um, a technical level and, and you can have those traditional reviews too. I think I think they should exist maybe for uh, for what games are the peculiarities of of putting up video games that have to function as as technical. You know, have to be sufficient. <laughs> they have to not blow up your computer or PlayStation. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm out in the woods now. Just to um, p potentially 
uh, slightly stem the tide of uh, <laughs> of depression. <laughs> I would I would like to say, as somebody who uh, who also writes outside games and who's married to a theatre and performance critic, uh, Diana Damien, um, I uh, I think this is not as isolating games as as you guys are maybe suggesting or or as you might imagine, because you know I I've just kind of watched these past few weeks a, a playwright called David Hare, who's one of the most respected British playwrights. Um, call out British theatre, which is not progressive anyway, for being infected, use the word infected, by European uh, theatre styles, which he kind of called, uh, you know, empty and baseless. And, and this is, you know, this is if one of the most famous playwrights, if not the mo- most famous living playwright in UK right now, and was backed up uh, considerably by Michael Billington, the, the Guardian's theatre critic, who... Uh, pointed out that the, the National Theatre's new season didn't have enough classics in it because it had a, a male-female split and it's all new writing. We're talking about the writers here. And uh, he complained about that. He complained about the fact that there's a male-female split and, an, and all new writing because there weren't enough classics in one season of the National Theatre, which has been running Shakespeare every season for, you know. So I, I'd, I'd just say that, you know, I think good criticism is hard to find. Um and I well, think yeah, that's, yeah, that's I, I don't I don't think it's isolated to games. I mean, I definitely think there's specific problems to games, but I just don't want to I, I don't want to sit here and necessarily be like, oh, woe is us as a form, because really, it's I think it's the challenge of of the critic, and especially yeah. even now, um, at the at, you know, I think you look at film reviews or anything else. There's a there's a vast expanse of meaningless content being produced onto the internet that um, that is the most read, and I don't know if that's ever going to really change. There's definitely no shortage of critics in any, uh, you know, culture or, or form of expression that let down the things that they're writing about. Absolutely. Um, I suppose the reason that I rail uh, against this kind of thing in video games is because that's the field in which I work specifically. I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never suggest that uh, games are malnourished especially because I, I've also worked in, in movies and I know that it's, it's often the same case there but I also don't think that it's um, it's worth being uh, sort of accepting of it or to just um, concur that you know this goes on in, in all media um, in all yeah, media. I'm, I'm, yeah I'm certainly I'm certainly not saying it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. but yeah. But yeah. no and I get what you mean it's and I do think yeah when we when we're talking about Kane and Lynch too, it, we should actually state that we're not we're not talking about um, Lars von Trier's Antichrist. You know, we're talking <laughs> exactly. about Pulp Fiction. We're mm. we're talking about yeah. uh, Drive. You know, we're talking. It's very like a Wendy Graffin uh, film. You know, we're we're really not talking about the uh, the peak of the art house here. We're talking about um, a pulp piece. So yeah, yeah. Anyway. So on that bombshell, it's a cliche that I've not used actually for, for several episodes on the bounce now, so I'm, I'm bringing that one back. Uh, on that bombshell, I think we'll conclude our discussion on Kane and Lynch 2. Um, I've been Ed Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Most and Silly Ed. Reed? I, I'm, jeez, uh, I forgot who I am for a few minutes there. I'm at Reed McCarter. That's, That's where all this stuff goes. Patrick? You can find me on Twitter at Han Freakin' Solo. And Gareth, where can we find you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jump Over the Age. And um, if you probably Google Heterotopia Design, I'm sure you'll find your way to some 35 uh, millimeter pictures of Kane and Lynch too. 
Reed, you've, and uh, you've purchased and yeah. read the first issue of Heterotopias. Yes, I have. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think um, I think people who have have read Garrett before uh, will have an idea of of what to expect. I would I would think, um, and I, I think it's really it's a really strong first outing. Um, I'll, I'll put the link to that on the show notes. It's you can get it on Itchio, right, Gareth? Yeah, yeah. Where all uh, good indie art and trash games can be found, I think. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and it's it's definitely worth a read, um, especially if you. Uh, it's got a, a real banger by Chris Priestman in there too, uh, formerly editor at Killscreen, um, who uh, has a really good piece on there, uh, Tomb Raider and and mythology and everything, and lots of good stuff by Gareth and. I don't know. I don't know it well enough to... Is the guy's name Darren Anderson? Darren Anderson, yeah. He had a, a column uh, in Killscreen magazine as well and did some good pieces. But he's a writer of a book called Imaginary Cities and he's a kind of specialist yeah. in literature and architecture and he's a very, very smart guy. Yeah, and he wrote as a, uh, a piece on Strider and Soviet futurism, which is as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I recommend people read it. I give it the official seal, seal of approval. The bullet point seal of approval. In case you were waiting to run out and get it. Thanks. Now, I'm gonna, now you I'm, can. I'm going to make a little icon for that and put it on the cover. <laughs> Just a picture <laughs> of my face. Like the Nintendo golden seal of approval. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, please do check the show notes uh, for links to the first issue of uh, Heterotopias. And you can also find other work from Reed, Patrick, and myself, as well as a variety of contributors at bulletpointsmonthly.com, where we take one game and cover it for an entire month. This month, uh, as you're listening to this episode, we are still doing Resident Evil 7. Uh, next month, have we decided on the game for the following month? No, don't announce it yet, because God it's only knows what'll happen. Okay, it's a tap on the nose kind of thing. Um, but yeah, please go to bulletpointsmonthly.com, and of course, if you enjoy this podcast, and if you enjoy our written work, you can donate money to us at patreon.com forward slash bulletpoints. We desperately need it, don't we, Read? Oh, we we do. Don't we, I kept putting those. I'm here just taking all of my my hefty, impressive-looking tomes on game design and ripping pages out and burning them to keep warm. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm I'm, um, I'm down to burning games. I'm throwing I'm, <laughs> like Dead Rising two on the fire right now. As smells speak. just nauseous fumes. Yeah. In the uh, in the Smith home. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I was t- I was taking pictures of my cat. I guess I should I should make it official that I uh, we will be turning my cat into sausage links um, <laughs> if if we do not get to a hundred dollars a month. There you have soon. it. Support bullet points, or we're going to eat Reed's cat. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to do it. I love my cat. <laughs> it's break it it breaks my heart. Well, uh, there you have it. Yeah, give us money or a cat dies. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I guess uh, I wanted to butt in last thing too. I'd be remiss not to remember to mention that uh, if you're interested in more stuff about Kane and Lynch aside from Heterotopia's first issue uh, there's a good article on it, good essay on it from Shooter that way back That's right. thing, by uh, Phil Salgado um, and kind of just talking about the ugliness of, of Kane and Lynch 2 and, and contrasting a bit with Max Payne 3 which it yeah, has yeah, shared some DNA with yeah definitely yeah, have we done that game on this show? We've done Max. We've not done Max. No, it's we're we're, we're no. due though, eh? Okay. We had to, yeah. We had to do this first. This is yeah. uh, you read you read Ulysses, 
You read the Odyssey and then you read Ulysses. You have to know what it's about. I yeah, Max Payne Three is a game that I uh, that's 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 top five stuff for me. That one. This is a uh, real fucking <laughs> IO Interactive is Homer, and uh, <laughs> and Rockstar Games is uh, James Joyce. Has he a oh James Joyce? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, right, well, on that classical literature bombshell, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say thank you, Gareth, for joining us on this episode. Uh, really appreciated having you. Uh, you were on. You you came on here to talk about No Man's Sky, didn't you? In the past, I did. We had we had a, a war of words about No Man's Sky. We um, did. Yeah, please go and listen to that episode because I enjoyed that one very much, and that's a that's a game that's um, really warrants a discussion. <laughs> um, Still playing it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to have to ask you. I'm going to ask you about that off air because that's something that I could grill you about for a long time. Um, but yeah, thank you again for listening. Uh, do check out the show notes for all the things that we've mentioned, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another. Uh, fuck, forget it. We'll be we'll be back. All right, see you. Bye bye. <laughs>